Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and this is show 56. Today I am super excited to bring back Professor Mark Cohen, one of the most brilliant men in our country when it comes to being at the forefront of integrative research in human and planetary health. And I've brought him back because I came across an article that he wrote that uh, was very dense, very short, and I just wanted so much more from it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be super selfish, but also obviously very generous for you guys so that we all get a really in-depth look at Mark's, what he calls his 10 toxic truths. Now, this is perfect timing because Go Low Tox is open for registration at the moment. So if you haven't done Go Low Tox, which is your e-course that helps you lower your toxic load across virtually every aspect of daily life, this is a life skill you're going to have forever and it's something I'm so proud of. It's our ninth round, our third birthday, uh, and we have had over 2,500 students through the course now from all over the world. In fact, just the other week when I was in Utah, I was uh, coming back from lunch, sitting in the vacant seat at an 1,800-person conference, and the lady next to me goes, oh my gosh, you changed my life. And I was like, oh wow, Um, please tell me who you are. And it was Shelly from Texas, Dallas, Texas, and she was a graduate of Go Low Talks and recognized me. And I just thought, you know, I'm you know, if we're, if I'm giving a talk in Sydney or uh, somewhere around Australia in the region uh, that most of our audience is from, then yes, I, I always get approached and people love having a chat and talking about how Go Low Tox changed their lives in some way. And it's, you know, life-changing in so many different ways, which is which is exactly what I want because really the overarching message is we make this about doing it our way. Uh, rather than thinking we have to follow some strict sort of protocol. Anyone who's done any of my courses knows that that is so not the low-tox jam. We are all about it being really empowering for you to take things on board in the way that they make sense to you and, and, and at a time that feels right for you. Otherwise, you just get all that guilt and shame and ugh, all that stuff. So, no thank you. Anywho, um, so that just illustrates how far-reaching this course is getting. We've had students from over 40 different countries now do the course. How crazy is that? So all these little ripples of change are happening all over the world and it's so beautiful. So if you hear Mark today, look, it is quite a heavy interview today. And if you're there thinking, you know, uh, whoa, how on earth? earth am I going to not have all of the things that he's just talked about be a problem for me and my family, then please join us. It really is going to be a life-changing, beautiful, positive, empowering, enriching, all the good things, five weeks. And you can spend as much time or as little time on it while it's live. Because if you now, um, now we have available the lifetime um, option, you can keep dipping back into the course with your username and password for as long as the course exists on that website. And trust me, given we just moved it to the new platform, it ain't going anywhere for years. I don't want to do that again. Um, So yes, so I just wanted to uh, sort of segue there and mention that the course is open for registration because I have a feeling that today might be a little bit upsetting for some people and I never want people to feel alarmed or upset or 
paralyzed by fear because that's not going to help us with any kind of positive action when we're paralyzed. So join me for this round of Golo Talks. Given it's our third birthday, I've got some super special stuff planned for this round, um, which is really exciting. Now, our show sponsor, as you know, in October is The Wonderful Nourished Life. If you haven't already joined The Nourished Life Club, please do so. It's a great online loyalty club. And if you join today, you'll get 15% off with your first order. So that in itself is worth it. And you have free shipping for Australian residents always. And you can actually join no matter where you are in the world. This is not exclusive as a loyalty program goes to Australian residents. Only the free shipping component is. You can earn points every time you spend. Not can. You actually do earn points every time you spend. Uh, You earn points even for referring mates or just simply writing a review. So how you felt about that mascara is going to earn you points. Um, And these equate to Nourish Life dollars that you then basically get to redeem off future orders. You get free gifts, you get exclusive looks at new things in the store, sales, discounts, special packs, all these good things. And speaking of special packs, if you haven't checked them out yet, we've got the beautiful Low Tox packs now. I've created three signature packs of some of my favorite things in the store. If you are someone who just thinks, ah, don't make me try and shop around and learn everything, just tell me what I need, then I've done one for the face, one for our gorgeous Low Tox kids, and one for all the reusables you need. So a beautiful reusables pack that gets you or a friend is a wonderful gift. Um, started on their reusables journey so we can stop wasting so much. As you'll know, we have a wonderful Waters Co. Biopop water filter to give away this month and you now have only two more weeks to enter this giveaway. All you have to do is say in the comments of the show notes today why you love clean water. doesn't need to be an essay. That's not going to give you an advantage. But I'm going to be drawing all of the entries out of um, random.org so that it's completely impartial and we'll announce the winner on the fourth week of October. So please do enter. Now, this is a filter that's got a 4.9 star rating from all of the people who've bought it on Nourished Life. Something else that I love about it, I didn't mention this last week, but when you buy it, you have it for four years without having to do a thing. Then you buy the refill. It's $320, but it lasts another four years. So that's only $80 a year to have clean, remineralized alkaline water. I think that's an exceptional value proposition. So while it might be expensive to start with, it's a $699 water filter if you were to buy it, but we've got a special price for $575 on Nourish Life for you guys. And and then long term, it actually ends up being great value. So if you want to capitalize on it now and just get it because you never win any competitions like me, feel free to head to the store and, and make sure you become a loyalty club member first um, so that you get such a huge amount of points to kick off with um, from that um, bigger ticket item purchase. Now it's October, there's a couple of months before Christmas and I'm a huge fan of getting our family and friends, everyone who says, oh, I want to get you something for Christmas, I'm not sure, to say, you know what? I literally only want one thing. So if you want to talk to dad or my sister or whatever, um, and make a plan, this is the thing I want, I'll send you the link. Be practical. 
people are receiving so many things they don't want and people are gifting so many things they're not sure that the receiver is going to like. And that makes no sense when there are some really big ticket items like this that, you know, not always able to buy for ourselves that would be hugely awesome if a whole bunch of people that you love in your family got together and got it for you for Christmas. So uh, keep that one in mind. It's a great filter. It it filters out the fluoride, chlorine, heavy metals, harmful bacteria, and nasty chemicals, pesticide residue, which we know obviously from Professor Michael Antonio's chat, the pesticide residue is not good for us. And then it has the amazing coral and silica to re mineralize the water in the final stages. So that's it from our wonderful sponsor, Nourished Life, and a huge thank you to Waters Co. for providing us one of their amazing filters to give away this month. Do be sure to go into the show notes and pop that comment down so that you've entered. Enjoy today's chat with Professor Cohen, and remember, if it speaks to you, if you think this might now be the time to just buckle down and spend a bit of time lowering your toxic load across all aspects of daily life, then I would so love... Ah, I love this course so much. That's why I always live coach it. I would so love for you to join us for this round of Go Low Talks. You don't have to be from Australia to do this course. We have shopping guide, a full shopping guide for the UK and shopping guides for New Zealand and the US as well now. So it really is a wonderful resource for you anywhere in the world. But really beyond the shopping, it's about learning the vocab, understanding the science and having these tools for the rest of your life to be able to make great choices no matter where you are in the world or whether you've seen that product before or not or whether you've had some kind of safety approval from me. You know, I'm not your guru. It's about transferring the passion and the information to you so that you can become your own guru when it comes to going low tox. Enjoy today's show with Professor Cohen. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm well, Alex. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. And I'm so glad to have you back on the show today, focusing primarily on environmental chemicals. And, uh, you know, something that really is is such a huge topic, and we've got roughly 40 minutes, but um, I might just start by sharing with everybody out there um, on a paper that you wrote that I've, I've read, that up to 60% of chronic disease today is lifestyle related. And obviously, we know that the risk factors that are modifiable are diet and physical activity, tobacco use, and environmental toxins. And I would love to start by asking you, why do you think that environmental toxins don't get so much airtime? Well, this is actually a really big issue. And I'm addressing that with one of my PhD students, Nicole Bilsmer, at the moment. And, and partly it is because we don't have the tests and most doctors don't have the knowledge to ask about them. Mm. So, you know, I can do a standard blood test looking at your, you know, hemoglobin and iron levels and thyroid function, liver function and renal function, but there is no test for your toxic load. Mm. And even when we're trying to do research on this, the tests are very specific and they're very expensive, which makes it almost prohibitive to do extensive research or to, to test the average person. And even though environmental chemicals are implicated in most of the chronic diseases that doctors see every day, either in causing them or, or exacerbating them, making them worse, uh, most doctors don't ask about them and taking a, a good environmental exposure history is not taught and it's not usually done. And, and when it is done, it takes a lot of time. So we've just been researching that with expert physicians who are 
people, doctors who are experts in environmental chemical assessment and working out what, what do they do to assess chemical exposures, what lab tests do they do. And it was pretty unanimous amongst them that the history is the most important tool. But it takes a, a long time because your exposure starts prenatally, actually, you know, but even before you're born, what your mother's exposed to. And then it, it relates to everywhere you've ever lived. You know, whether you've lived next to an industrial site or a site with um, known toxic exposures or um, downwind from industry. And so it, it involves taking a lifetime geomedicine history. And geomedicine is the, the relationship between place and health. Mm. So that's really important. Then it also um, determines by, determined by your occupational history, your dental history, you know, what have you got in your mouth in terms mm. of amalgams and other things, uh, your dietary history, you know, what you've eaten in the past, what you eat now. There, there are so many factors that influence your exposure, exposure to a whole range of environmental chemicals that it becomes incredibly complex. So it's very time-consuming to take a environmental history. Um, it's beyond the capacity of both time and the knowledge of most doctors or, or clinicians. And it's really put on the back burner. So it's it's not at the forefront of mind when you go to a, a health practitioner to ask about a, a common health complaint. No, it's absolutely not. And I've been healing from mold illness the last uh, year and, uh, well, primarily the last sort of five months until we finally got the diagnosis. But getting to a point where I had a doctor who could work with me on that and and I'll never forget it. He sent me the new patient form and that took me three hours to fill out. There were so many questions and our initial consult was three and a half hours long. And, you know, that is, I mean, you talk about cost prohibitive. Yes, it completely, like on a mass scale, I feel incredibly fortunate to have been able to step up, step up and invest um, in that for myself. But for a lot of people, it's not a reality. And for what, from what you just said, it's also just not on the radar. Well, actually, mold, mold is a really big issue, and it's something like 40% of houses in Australia are mold-affected. Mm. And um, you know, mold is, is – in anywhere there's water damage or visible water damage or mold, um, you know, you have spores. And you know, that is an issue with many health health um, complaints. Yet, again, it's, it's very time-consuming to um, identify. To, to correct it can be really um, – Difficult because you've got you know rising damp or different you know water egress or um, you know just looking at humidity or you know poor ventilation in in bathrooms etc. Um, so yeah, mold mold is a is a massive issue and even a lot of brand new houses, even though they're written to specification, they get condensation mm. in, inside the roof and it, and whenever you've got condensation of water, you you get mold. Yeah, absolutely. Dehumidifiers, people, they're the best things you can buy. Um, now. Another thing is obviously cancer has become the number one uh, killer. I know in Australia for a fact. Is that the US as well? Or? It's actually globally. Globally, right. 2014, I think, was the year when cancer surpassed heart attack and stroke or any other cause of death. Mm. So now cancer is the number one killer on the planet. Yeah, that's just crazy. And if we look at our food supply, if we look at these environmental toxins, uh, it, it's pretty logical once you do a bit of basic research around what these chemicals are and what they can do within our bodies uh, that like can cancer would start to proliferate but why do you believe that 
there isn't more of a preventative focus on cancer. I mean, is it not crazy to uh, our governments that you can have something like a sunscreen that's supposed to prevent cancer, yet it has carcinogenic ingredients in it? I mean, like, um, <laughs> I'm not educated in any way yeah. in medicine, and yet I get that that is completely bizarre. And and. The, the issue with cancer is it's incredibly complex, mm. and even with environmental chemicals. So that, you know, we, we're all exposed to low levels, yet our individual response is determined by our genetics mm. and our epigenetics and our you know our the way we've been brought up and our diets, etc. So just because you know you smoke doesn't mean you're going to get lung cancer. And you know, it took you know what 50 years before that that link between smoking and lung cancer, where you think it's pretty obvious, was you know firmly established. So when you've got all these other low-level carcinogens that we're all exposed to, uh, it's very hard to point the finger at one and say that's the culprit. You know, we have to remove it. Mm. And and often it's not just about one chemical, one disease. It, you have this synergistic effect. So you know, chemical cocktails. Um, uh, you know, much worse than exposure to individual chemicals. Mm. And I guess this is probably a really good time for us to go into your 10 toxic truths because that you speak to a lot in there. And, well, I mean, everyone is affected, right? Everyone. There's no way yeah, so, to... So the, yeah, I've come up with these 10 toxic truths about environmental... Sort of the, what we know and what we don't know about... Yeah environmental chemicals so and the first two and as they sort of run in pairs because it, it used to be thought that the dose makes the poison mm. and that was breakthrough science 500 years ago when paracelsus came out with that but now we know it's not just about the dose that makes the poison it's the type of chemical mm. it's the combinations of chemicals it's the timing of when you're exposed and it's your individual susceptibility in addition to the dose so there are there are sort of five factors that determine toxicity and yeah, I'm happy to go through the toxic truths with you which talk to that so the first two toxic truths one is everyone's affected yeah and the second one is we don't know the full extent mm. and that's about you know the the type of chemicals that are out there um, are increasing there's hundreds of thousands of industrial chemicals that are currently in production 3,000 of those are in high production so making millions of tons a year of these industrial chemicals and um, they're in our water, they're in our soil, they're in our air, they're in our bodies, uh, they're in every tissue of our body, it's in our food, and there's no way you can – in fact, every every organism on earth has industrial toxicants in their bodies, whether it's whether you're a, a plankton or a, a whale or a human. Mm. And that's sort of the, the tragedy of, of living in the modern world. And you know, the, the second part of that is the full extent is unknown. We, we, we're only just starting to map that toxicity. And there, there's, you know, um, some biomonitoring programs. There's the biggest one in the world is the NHANES program in the, in the United States where they have about 3,000 people. They, they spend a fortune looking at – and they only look at about 280 or 270-odd chemicals in the American population. They find things like phthalates and BPA and fire retardants in the vast majority, you know, 90% of people. Mm. Yet most of these chemicals we don't test for and we don't know. And there, there's some interesting information they've, they've just discovered. For example, they've been looking at whale earwax. And if you, if you think about whales who um, you know, travel the planet, mm. They, they don't clean out their ears, apparently. So inside a whale's ear canal, you have a build-up of wax. And that acts like 
the rings on a tree. So each year there's another another level of wax that's laid down. So so you get, at the end of a whale's life, you end up with this long sort of candle of wax that's grown up in their ears. And that documents the level of fat-soluble chemicals over their lifespan. Wow. And what they, what they notice is, just like with humans, that the biggest exposure occurs while the, while the whale is breastfeeding. So you get a huge dose of fat-soluble chemicals, um, industrial chemicals through breast milk. Mm-hmm. And then that increase, you know, then, then you get a increasing exposure throughout the lifespan. But what they've, what they've done is mapping that with whale earwax to say that our oceans are becoming more polluted with things like dioxins and PCBs, you know, over the last, you know, 50, 60, 80 years, which is, you know, a whale's lifespan. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, that's documented within the, the earwax of whales. But it's the same, the same as if they look at um, ice rings, you know, they look at um, ice core drilling in the Arctic um, and many other sources. You can see that the world is becoming increasingly toxic and we still don't have the, um, the tools to measure them all and certainly the expense because you know, to measure PCBs or dioxins, it's a very expensive um, test to do. And, you know, to do it as a, a routine medical test is really beyond the capability of laboratories or, or the funding systems to, to fund those tests. Mm. But given we know for a fact that the world is becoming more toxic, why is there not more of a precautionary principle, do you think? Well, uh, I think there's a, you know, governments and, you know, want to encourage businesses and businesses want to make things happen. Mm. And if they can make a short-term profit, you know, for a long-term, you know, hazard, you know, they're happy to do that. Yeah. And in fact, you know, there, there's many cases documented where corporations have known something's dangerous. And oh, absolutely. Tried, tried to keep it going as long as humanly possible. Mm. And then even when it's banned in one country, they'll sell it to the third world or other places where it's not banned. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at glyphosate and Roundup today. Well, that's that's available. But you look at some of the banned pesticides in the United States or in Australia mm. and companies, you know, Dow Chemicals, which makes a whole range of pesticides, you know, they're banned in America, but they'll sell it into Mexico or they'll sell it into India or the third world where the regulations aren't there. Mm. But then funnily enough, what happens is they grow the food in Mexico then where the chemicals are and that food's imported back into the United States. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no escaping it. Um, yeah, so that so the precautionary principle, you know, is super important. You know, it's better to be safe than sorry, but unfortunately, that doesn't drive corporate profits. And 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 again, it's really hard to point a finger at any particular chemical and say that's the culprit for this particular disease. Yeah. But if we look at the trajectory of human disease, you know, the basic epidemiology, we're we're seeing you know, cancers overtaken, heart attack and stroke. And that's because there's more carcinogens in our in our environment, and then we also see neurodevelopmental problems, you know, ADHD and autism and um, reproductive problems and depression and psycho- psychological problems um, that are increasing far beyond any you know, genetic changes that could occur. So these are things that are in, in our environment that are causing this uh, change in what we're seeing in in people's health. Yeah, and while while that I mean, on the surface, what you just said, the words all put together sound extremely depressing. There's almost a comfort in that too, um, knowing there's so much we can do. Well, that's it. I mean, if if 60% of disease or probably more is lifestyle related, Mm. then 
that's in our control. And I think that's that's good news because we are in control of our lifestyles, or at least to, to you know, a certain extent. I mean, if it was to do with things that are in the air that, that is impossible for us to control, then there would be more of a worry. But you know, we we make lifestyle choices every day, mm. um, every meal, you know, every every time we purchase something, yeah. and those choices are in our control. So yeah, you know, there is good news because we we can do something about it. Absolutely. And and if we all do something individually, then that changes things um, at a policy level and at a corporate corporation level. And it's interesting that things like um, BPA was taken out of baby bottles in the United States, not because the regulator said, no, we're going to do this. It's because people stopped buying it because yeah. they were concerned. People don't make what people don't buy. It's that simple, yeah. folks. So our dollars do count. Yeah. Um, now, you talk about, um, well, toxic truth number three is that tiny doses can have big effects. And I actually had the wonderful Professor Michael Antonio on the show a few weeks ago discussing his incredible study um, on low-level glyphosate exposure as one would see in day-to-day conventional mm-hmm. produce uh, and kidney and liver damage in that. Have you got some more examples in, in the work that you've done? What have oh, you there's, seen? There's many examples. Mm. And, and- when you're talking to, you know, the fact that tiny doses have big effects, we're lo- looking at things like endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Yeah. So chemicals, you know, all the xenoestrogens that are out, out in the environment with plastics. That anything that affects our endocrine system, our endocrine system has this great leverage effect. So in a very small dose of a hormone can have a huge physiological effect. Mm. So chemicals that affect our uh, or disrupt our endocrine system can have you know, massive effects on our body and on our health. And um, this is what we, what we call a non-monotonic dose-response curve. Because <laughs> I used to think that a dose-response curve was sort of, you know, the smaller the dose, the less the effect, and yes. the bigger the dose, the bigger effect. Thank you for and translating then, that. I was like, mm, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to need some clarification there. <laughs> so, so it used to be thought that was like a straight line. You, know? yeah. you reduce the dose, you get a smaller effect. But now what they found is when you reduce the dose, you can actually start to get bigger effects. Or the, the effect is an, the curve is an S shape or a U shape. Well, that's what they than, found but, with BPA, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, rather than being a straight line. And that was documented in the 1990s. Um, Pete Myers and Theo Colburn wrote a great book um, called Our Stolen Future mm. in the 1990s that they talked about endocrine disrupting chemicals and how we're all being exposed and how this is going to change. You know, human disease and impair reproduction and behavior and intellectual capacity and they're saying that we're all part of a big human experiment the results of which may not be known for generations yeah oh gosh and and just with that that so this is about the dose and mm. then in the tiny doses have big effects but we also know that um tiny doses magnify up the food chain yes that's toxic truth number four so that means that if you have a, a very small amount of mercury, say, in in a aquatic system, well, that gets taken up by the phytoplankton and then the phytoplankton get eaten by the zooplankton and then the, the zooplankton get eaten by a shrimp and then the shrimp gets eaten by a small fish and the small fish gets eaten by a bigger fish. And each time you go up the food chain, you get a concentration. So at the top of the food chain, you can have 10 million times the concentration than you do at the bottom of the food chain. And that, that happened in the 1960s. It was interesting where you had the um, people like Rachel Carson, you know, mm. alerting people to, you know, to DDT and the dangers of, of 
persistent organic pollutants. So these are pollutants that, that stay in the environment for, for generations and many decades. But then um, that whole environmental movement joined with the wildlife movement because they were seeing, you know, the predatory birds and the whales and, and the you know, killer whales and the animals at the top of the food chain were actually getting affected because, you know, they were getting massive doses. So, that you know, the bald eagle was at risk because the shells wouldn't were so fragile because of the, the levels of chemicals at the, the top of the food chain. Incredible. And, and what's really tragic about that is at the very, very top of the food chain isn't just humans, it's actually the human infant. Mm. If you think about an infant, an infant eats human, it eats mm. breast milk. So it eats a, you know, a, a product from a human. So you know, we go and eat everything and then uh, an infant will eat mother's milk and they get a very, very high exposure to all these uh, you know, fat-soluble chemicals. And, and the fats, there's generally two classes of chemicals. There's the fat-soluble ones that can last in the environment for decades and they're in our, they last in our bodies for a long time because we don't usually excrete fat. The fat's a very valuable biological substance. It takes a lot of energy to produce fat and, you know, you want to store it for hard times. You don't want to just lose it. <laughs> Although a lot of women would argue otherwise. Well, our bodies are designed to store it. You know? yeah. yeah, of course. And that's why, that's why it's so hard to, to, to lose weight. Mm. And then there's the water-soluble chemicals, which you can um, excrete quite rapidly in urine. Yeah. And... For example, with pesticides, DDT and organochlorine pesticides were the ones that in the 1950s and 60s and 70s even were very widely used. And then you know, Rachel Carson wrote her book, Silent Spring, and, and the dangers of DDT were made known. And then a lot of the organochlorine pesticides, which are fat-soluble, were replaced by the organophosphate pesticides, which are water-soluble. Mm-hmm. And because they're water-soluble, they um, metabolize quicker and they get excreted from the body uh, much faster. However, they're also more toxic. So the organophosphates were modeled after nerve gas. Oh, gosh. You know, gas and nerve gas. And, and they're designed to, to affect the nervous system of, of, of insects. But they also affect our nervous system. And then a couple of weeks ago, actually, in um, June this you know year, 2017, the European Union came out with a document saying – I think it was 13 billion IQ points were being lost in the in Europe due to organophosphate pesticide exposure, and that was costing 125 billion euros per year. Just the just the loss in IQ and you know the the neurocognitive performance losses um, due to organophosphate pesticides. So even though they're water soluble, and um, me and my research group we we showed that one week of organic food will reduce your organophosphate pesticide load by 90%. It's 90%. So yeah, after a week, you pee them out, and if you don't keep on eating them, you know, they're gone. Mm. But, but the truth is that they're what we call pseudo-persistent, you know, that they get excreted quickly, but because we're eating them all the time, mm, they're, exactly. they're persistent in our body all the time. Yeah. It's kind of like phthalates that can leave the body quite quickly, but it's the fact that they're in us and around us every day, hour after hour, that we don't end up getting on top of that detoxification and that's why we feel the ill effects. So, yeah, it's... Uh... So, so when we're talking about the, the fat-soluble ones, though, they're the ones that, you know, we're in the, the whale's earwax and they're yeah. in our breast milk. They, they're the ones that accumulate up the food chain. And 
that's one of the benefits of being a vegetarian. If you eat low on the food chain, you're going to have less exposure to those chemicals. And um, one of the, you know, if you're going to eat animal products, it's much better to eat organic, you know, milk or cheese or eggs or meat, or whatever, because you're going to have a less exposure. Because the higher up the food chain you eat, it's also why it's better to eat little fish like sardines or white bait than it is to eat tuna or you know um, swordfish. Mm. And and now there's, there's still warnings now on you know pregnant women to eat you know only certain amounts of serves of fish each week because of the uh, exposure they get to these uh, persistent organic pollutants. Yeah, and uh, and we'll pop in the show notes some of the guidelines there for anyone out there who's thinking, oh my gosh, and needs some references. It'll be there for you. And now the next thing you talk about in your toxic truths, number five, is the chemical cocktails are synergistic. So often, you know, um, we see studies of one chemical and we'll see a, a toxicity ranking on the Environmental Network Group or, you know, sort of resources like it. Are you saying that um, because it's always a cocktail that we're exposed to, that's even less predictable and we don't really know the effects? Well, it's it's less predictable. We know the effects and they're worse. Mm. And and it's not just me saying that. There's yeah. you know, many different reports. Um, in fact, they, they call it mixture toxicity. So the, the toxicity you get when you, you mix things. And, it's, and it sort of makes common sense. If, you, if one thing's going to be bad, if you mix them, it's going to be worse. But what they've found with that is you can get what they call the something from nothing effect. And that is you can have two chemicals at a dose that by themselves they actually have no effect at all. And it's below what they call the no observable adverse effect limit. But when you add them together you actually get a toxic effect. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, individually they do nothing, but together they do something. So it's like you've got something from nothing. But in this case, it's not something that you want. It's it's a it's an adverse toxic effect. And that's used. Um, so when they make pesticide formulations, for example, you talked about glyphosate. Yeah. Well, glyphosate's the active ingredient, but when you put it into Roundup, into the, the actual formulation, it contains adjuvants and surfactants and, and other chemicals that make it even more potent. Mm. So that actually may help it penetrate the cells better, um, you know, a- acting as a surfactant. But it actually makes it hundreds of times more toxic than the active ingredient alone. Yet when they're regulating it and they're testing the regu- you know, they're testing for um, you know, the levels that are, that are allowed, um, they actually only look at the active ingredient. They don't look at the whole formulation. Mm. Yet the people who formulate the pesticides know that and, and they, I mean, they want them to work, so they want to put it into a formulation that's going to have the, the most potent effect. And, that, and they use this you know, mixture toxicity to actually do that. Wow. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, so it gets, it, I'm it just gets already thinking about how I can motivate people out there and, and create the resources that means that we can create a different world because, you know. Yeah, and, and it, it, it's a difficult topic to talk about. I mean, I, I, you know, I wrote the text, the Toxic Truth article, you know, many years ago and, you know, giving lectures on this, it, it you know, you can feel the energy of a room go down and it's really depressing. And one of the things is once you know this, you can't unknow it. No. And, and you know, hopefully we can talk about some of the positive things we can do because, yeah, this, this is really devastating to know and, and to think what we've done to our bodies and to the planet and to future generations. Mm. And, and, you know, just to ourselves, we, we know that – um. You know, if toxicity is worse in a mixture, you know, we're all exposed to mixtures. No one's exposed to just one chemical. And that 
that accumulates over our lifespan. So the older you get, because we don't excrete fat, the, these toxic chemicals build up in our fat and we have this toxic cocktail that accumulates over our lifespan. So the older you get, the more um, you're likely to get cancer and many age-related diseases can be related to the toxicity of our bodies. Yet even then, in Canada, there was a report where they showed that babies are born pre-polluted because we, you know, we toxify our bodies and then all these um, chemicals go through the placenta and get um, laid down in the fetus. And if you think about these fat-soluble chemicals um, going into a fetus, well, the, most of the fat in a fetus is in the brain. Oh, wow, yeah. So we're talking about real IQ implications and yeah, possibly brain-related disease, right? Well, that's it. That's why we're seeing all this you know, huge impact of neurodevelopmental problems. But you know, there's not much fat on a fetus. You know, fetus, babies aren't born with a lot of body fat. Mm. And the brain is the fattiest organ in the body. So these chemicals that transfer through the mother via the placenta into the fetus, lodge in the central nervous system, and then the baby's born and, and feeds off breast milk that also has a, a very high toxic load. And we know that breast milk has, has a high content, but it's, so it's, breast, breastfeeding is actually a very good way for the mother to detoxify. However, she's detoxifying right into her infant. And we also know that if you have subsequent children, they will get clean their breast milk because you've detoxified you know, a lot of your body load into the first child, so your second and third children will have you know, um, cleaner milk. And so that means if you've got an older sibling, you have to thank them for taking the toxic hit for you. <laughs> I owe you one. <laughs> yeah. yeah wow. no, um, it's, it's hard to be a first child because you're going to get the, the toxic load, the full brunt of that from, from mother and from the breast milk. Interesting. And you also talk about truth number seven is the fact that windows of development are critical. So obviously we've talked about prenatally um, there, some of the implications. What else are we looking for once the child is born? Well, well it's, it's all in the timing. So, yeah. you know, the younger you are, when you're developing your immune system, your nervous system, your, um, you know, your organ systems, you're much more susceptible to a small change that will send you down, you know, one path rather, rather than another path. So, I mean, and we knew that with um, something like thalidomide. Yeah. And in the 1970s, you know, you give thalidomide to an adult, you know, it can be a useful drug for, for morning sickness or leprosy or different things, but you give it to a, a fetus and they won't grow limb buds. So, yeah, it's, the timing is really critical as well. And, Again, we come back to you know the most vulnerable people in our community, which are the unborn children and infants. Um, so they they have the often you know very high exposures, and they have the you know, the the most to lose in terms of the effects it has on their intellectual development or their organ systems, etc. Yeah, and. When you talk about one of my favourite images that I've seen in one of your presentations is uh, toxic speaks to toxic truth number eight, uh, which is that the effects are transgenerational. And there's this picture, and I've popped it in the show notes, guys, for you to see, of the mother with a baby inside and the baby with reproductive cells and how you see that there's literally three generations in one body at that time. 
and it's it just makes it so obvious to see how this is a transgenerational implication um, in terms of what we're exposed to. Yeah, I guess that picture, it, it, that shows it's very obvious because even if you have a female fetus, then that female fetus already has the the ovums mm. um, you know, of her children. So there's three generations automatically there. But it, there's also research to show that's the same with males, that if you expose a male to different um, toxicants, that then their offspring up to three or four generations later will have effects. This is something that, you know, it's not just what you're exposed to, it's what your your parents and your grandparents and possibly your great-grandparents were exposed to that can have an impact on your life. Mm. And I'm just loving the fact that Mauritius, where my mum's side of the family is from, is one of the highest per acre users of Roundup in the world. <laughs> that's that's what I've come from. But although, although that probably wasn't used when you were you were gestating, so well, <laughs> no, yeah. chemicals. I hope, yeah. Yes, no. But interestingly, I get um, I get a bit unwell after four or five weeks there. I find um, I have to eat some French frozen produce to mitigate some of the effects because I'm a big green leaf eater and um, and they're obviously some of the most sprayed. So I try and avoid those these days when I'm there, which is bizarre, but, you know, you just sort of do what you have to do once you know. Now, sp- speaking to that transgenerational implication and we're thinking into the future, grandkids and, and their children, can we, if we start to change things now start to change that trajectory and how long do, do you believe it might take? Well, no, I think you can. You, you know, whenever you start, you know, everything you do changes the trajectory of what's going to happen in the future. So it doesn't mean just because your grandparents are exposed, your parents are exposed, you're doomed to a particular fate. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, we can change the impact through our choices. However, you know, it, it is documented that, um, you know, exposures does have this effect. And that's not just with um, toxic chemical exposure. They've also shown that with toxic stress. So, for example, you know, um, Holocaust survivors and children of Holocaust survivors have, you know, psychological problems. And, you know, after, you know, wars and, and, you know, severe traumatic events, you have whole generations that are traumatised, but that has impacts on their children and, you know, further down the generations. However, you know, so it's not just we're healing our own wounds and recovering from our own toxicity. We're healing the wounds of our of our um, ancestors. Mm. Wow. Oh, this is big, Mark. We're having a very important discussion today. I hope everyone out there is okay. <laughs> um, so toxic truth number nine, risk is unequal, unjust and greater for the young. I feel like we've kind of spoken about that already. So I will then go into number 10. Well, so just before we leave that, that just, that just talks to, you know, the children are more exposed. Most, yeah. but, but, but children are not just little adults. Children have – they eat more per kilogram. They breathe more per kilogram. They have more contact with the ground where pesticides and, and dust, where diesel and other um, fire retardants are, um, gather. They have more hand-to-mouth behaviour, so they're putting things more in their m- mouth. They actually extract more vitamins, but also more toxicants from the food that they eat. They drink um, more water. Big, they drink more water, but even even the nutrition they get, they actually extract more out of it because they're growing and they're metabolizing more. Um, so they they get more toxic even from from a same level of food or something. They 
have immature organ systems and they also have a longer time to develop disease. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, so that is the tragedy that, the, you know, this is, it's, you know, risk is unequal, so the, there's more risk for children. And it's unjust because, you know, the children didn't do anything to, to deserve this. It's, no. it's, you know, we've sort of put it on it. And, um, yeah, the most vulnerable in our population, so which are, are our children, um, are at the greatest risk. So that's, it's, um, yeah, I'm hoping people aren't getting too depressed out there. <laughs> well, you know, you have to learn the truth so that you can then get a fire in your belly to take action. I'm such a believer in that and I see it in so many people in our community that information is power. It might be hard, it might be heavy, but once you've played in there for a while and you really let things sink in, of course you're going to want to change things. And the beauty in that is that it is only positive from there. It really is as you seek out better brands, as you seek out more That's local it. produce, you know, it, it gets really quite beautiful. And um, and so for anyone out there who's never considered anything today, it's your first day of getting curious and you think, well, that was just a lump of lead and now I feel horrific about everything I've ever done. It's not about guilt from what you did yesterday. It's about getting excited about That's now it. knowing. How, how do we move forward do. on a positive step? Yep. That's right. So to that end... I'd love to ask you a little bit about detoxification because obviously there's a whole bunch of people out there thinking, but all of this past stuff I've done, is is that my fate? Is it in there now? And obviously we've talked about water-soluble and fat-soluble. Fat Water-soluble to a certain extent is just about literally ditching exposure and continuing to avoid it. Fat-soluble what are some of your tips to 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 give us some hope that we can actually remove some of these toxins from our tissues? Yeah, well, there's there's interesting um, research around this, and and there's there's not a lot of research that's been done on how to remove fat soluble chemicals within Ayurveda, which is the traditional Indian system of medicine. They have a whole system they call Panchakarma which is a whole detoxification regime. And that's sort of like giving your body an oil change. Mm. And just like, you know, you know, the oil in your car goes off, so, you know, it gets rancid or gets, you know, oxidized, so you, you have to change the oil in your car. Well, it's similar about the oils in our body, the fats in our body. And the way they do it within Ayurveda is they have a, a lipophilic diet, so you, it actually involves drinking, you know, medicated ghee. Mm-hmm. But basically, good fats. So you medicated ghee. How is yeah. it? What it well, they just... put they put herbs and ah, other, okay. other yep. things in it. So mm-hmm. you're taking ghee. You're having um, oil enemas. You're having oil massages. So you, you're really saturating oils all over your body. And when you do that, some of the oils within your body can, well, some of the chemicals within the oils in your body can transfer across and get excreted. Oh wow! Now there's there's also some research around this. Funnily enough, around um. Fake fats. So in the um, late 1990s, uh, the, you know, the nutritionists were really excited when they discovered Alestra, which is a artificial fat that your body won't absorb. Uh-huh. So with, and, and they thought, this is brilliant. We've got um, you know, the chance to make fake fats that people can't <laughs> absorb. So you can have as many French fries as you want <laughs> baked with Alestra. And all those Hooray, we've all been saved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so this was a big fat. For, and you can still buy, you know, Pringle chips and other, you know, um, products with Alestra, although Alestra does have the side effect because you don't absorb it. It gives you bloating and it gives you fatty stools. 
And, right. and you know, it's also, you know, you'll have warnings on the label saying, you know, danger cause, causes anal leaking, <laughs> um, <laughs> anal leakage and, and bloating and, you know, a bit of diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they, what they have shown is that if you take a lestra, because the fat is in your gut and going through you, but it's not going through your intestine into your body, some of the fats within your body can be leached out into your gut and be excreted. So, for example, and PCBs and dioxins, which are very toxic fat-soluble chemicals that are very hard to excrete normally, have been shown to be reduced by taking Alestra. Right. And so, how do you take it? Is it a capsule? Is it a... Well, they, well they, can have it, they can have it as capsules. Uh, I think they were using it for... Oh, for, for weight loss for a while, but it, but often it's um, done in food, although I don't know if I would want to have a big dose because you do get bloating and diarrhea and, you know, um, fatty stools and anal leakage and all those sort of complaints with it. <laughs> it does what it says on the box, right? <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you may, maybe you don't want to have too much, but, but the principle of having good fats, good clean fats in your diet that then flush through your body you know, is, is a potential way to reduce the, the fat-soluble chemicals. And, in fact, there's, there's a theory that says the global obesity epidemic that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got about a third of the Western world has prediabetes with obesity, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood sugars. That's, that obesity epidemic can be due or partly due to these fat-soluble chemicals that we normally can't excrete. So what your body does... Um, it uses what they call the public health adage, which is the solution to pollution is dilution. Mm-hmm. And it, they talk about it in public health. You know, if you can't get rid of pollution, you've diluted in the atmosphere or in the oceans. Well, in our bodies, if, if we can't get rid of fat-soluble chemicals, what your brain does to keep the, these chemicals out of your brain, it dilutes them by putting on body fat and it stores them out of harm's way around your gut. Oh, wow. That, that spare tire you're wearing around your, your waist mm. is actually storing some of these fat-soluble chemicals and keeping them out of harm's way because they're sort of stored and out of the, the circulation. Isn't that interesting? And then if you then reduce the amount of, of these you know, lipophilic, you know, fat-soluble um, toxicants, that then your body will naturally lose weight because it doesn't have to, to put on this extra weight to store them. Wow. And, you know, the trick is for people to then really learn where they are, how, how to avoid them, what to look at on labels if you're buying products um, and, and how to get more organic food into your diet. Well, that's, I mean, avoiding, you know, toxin and tox out. So you want to avoid putting the toxin as much as you can. Mm. That's, that's certainly um, super important. But then with these fat soluble chemicals, it's how do you get the toxic chemicals out. And, and one of the issues about massive weight loss is that, um, and you go on a detoxification program, you can you know, maybe you lose weight, but then you're putting these chemicals back into the circulation and potentially making yourself feel really sick. So it's important if you're going through a weight loss regime and, and you're losing fat, that you also really support your um, liver function and kidney function to make sure that, you know, once these chemicals go into the circulation, you can actually excrete, actively excrete them rather than getting them reabsorbed through the sort of hepatic portal circulation, you know, um, system and then, you know, putting them back into your body and making mm. you feel sick. 
Yeah. And what are some of the most effective um, ways, maybe it's nutrients, maybe it's techniques, to um, really optimise liver and kidney function for these sorts of um, periods where we're, we're trying to get rid of these toxins? Well, there's um, – well, one is to keep – I mean, for, so for kidneys, and really it's keeping all of your channels of elimination open. Yeah. And I talk about the five Bs. So it's your bladder, your bowels, your breath, your body in terms of sweating, you know, actively out of your body, and even your brain. You know, you want to keep, you know, your mental, um, you know, your psychology. You know, you want to you keep your thinking open. So, you know, so maintaining, you know, lots of good, clean water or herbal teas and, and there are many – I mean, I'm a big fan of Tulsi, holy basil, mm. which which – stimulates detoxification enzyme pathways and it supports um, liver and kidney function itself. Um, so to constantly keep your body flushed with fluids so you're constantly making clear um, straw-coloured urine yeah. and plenty of it. I've doubled keep- down on my Tulsi tea since our last yeah. chat. <laughs> so, and keep keeping your bowels open, so ha- you know, having lots of soluble fibre and, and um, good fats. So, you know, You've got these channels of elimination that are that are, are staying open. Um, sweating, actively sweating, and, and you know, in our modern, you know, air-conditioned worlds, um, it's rare that we you know we drip sweat. Mm. Uh, yet our ancestors would have done it regularly. So you know, whether it's a exercise or um, you know, in the gym or you know, going for a run, it's you know, it's good to have a regular routine a few times a week, if not every day. Where you're sweating, yeah. Keep keep that that channel of elimination open. And I've got one of my PhD students who's a medical doctor, um, Joy Hussain, who's she's studying um, the effect of sauna bathing and detoxification. And it's there is some research that shows that um, you can actively eliminate um, some of these chemicals through your sweat. Oh wow! So and in terms of sauna, that seems to be so hot right now. Everyone's talking about far infrared, near infrared, regular saunas. Is there any particular type of sauna you believe to be the best kind? Um, I think the best kind is it's like the best kind of exercise. It's the one that you're going to do regularly. Yeah, love it. Um, mm. and, and it's interesting because there is this discussion about the saunas. This is one of our research questions that we're going to be addressing, um, providing we can get a bit of funding for it. But that is to actually look at um, how sweat differs when you produce it from either an infrared sauna, a normal finished sauna, or from exercise, or from um, pilocarpine, or which is a you know, drug-induced sweating, which is what they often use for research studies. Mm. Oh, how fascinating. I hope you get the funding for that. I'd love to know the answer. Um, yeah, and we're, and we're actually doing advanced metabolomics. So when you look at sweat, you can look at the metabolites that get excreted, and that includes different you know, toxic chemicals, but also you know, other, other things. And there, there's hundreds of, of different chemicals and, and that come out in sweat. And sweat's actually a very, very complex body tissue. It varies on different parts of the body. Um, there are, you know, multiple kinds of sweat glands. It's not just a simple diffusion of, you know, water across. You know, you get active um, secretion of both lipids and water-soluble compounds. And, you know, we all know about, um, you know, pheromones and, you know, the effect that sweat can have psychologically for attracting or repelling people. And sweat also is determined very much by the bacteria on our skin. And that also varies according to the the place on our body. So, you know, the, what we call the body biome, 
you know, we know the microbiomes in our gut, but mm. there's also a body biome on our skin. And that can determine you know, how much we sweat and what's excreted and, and how that's metabolized. So it's actually a complex topic. But generally, in terms of you know, which sauna to use, um, well, they say that you know, an infrared sauna is more comfortable mm-hmm. because it's a lower temperature, so you can sort of stand to be in there longer and sweat more. Um, I think it's a bit of a personal preference, but I think any, you know, any sauna that you can use regularly that's going to get you to drip sweat. And then it's also... Um, it's talked about, and I've seen no research on it, but it makes sense. But if you're going to be sweating in a sauna, it's good to have a towel and actually actively towel the sweat off you rather than just let it sit on your body and then those chemicals can actually be reabsorbed. So it's better to, um, you know, sweat, sweat, mop that up with a towel. And I know some people that even weigh the towel afterwards to get an idea of how much water oh, wow. or sweat they've lost and or they know that once they've you know, saturated one towel with sweat then that's that's enough for a session because you know they've lost a liter or two yeah well that's the group challenge for this week everybody take your <laughs> take your towel to the the sweatshop and um i i go to one down in um king's cross here in sydney and uh whole, whole, oh, health space and it's an infrared sauna and it is just mind-blowing how much um, sweat you you can produce, and I find if I walk there, so I'm already a little bit sweaty, then that's a really great session rather than driving there and and having to kind of work up to that body temperature where you start. Yeah, sweating. And, and and some people people have different sweat tolerance. So some people who if they're not used to sweating, it might take them quite a while to actually get to the point where they're free flowing sweat, mm. um, just because they're. You know whether it's I don't know their pores are physically blocked or not, but it actually just you know their their body's not used to sweating and it takes a while to generate that. And I know uh, other people they they'll drink um say ginger tea or something quite stimulating before they go into sauna, which also enhances circulation and you know it's very warming, so it actually increases the amount that you'll sweat. I love it. Yeah, well, it makes sense. And in terms of you know I might finish here in terms of everything we've talked about everything that you're looking at that's that's happening right now that is uh, being looked at the questions that are being asked what are you most excited about for the future oh this, this has to be a whole other conversation so i'm actually <laughs> sorry i'm actually well, that's okay we can talk again but i'm, I'm doing a whole lot of research at the moment what i call extreme wellness mm-hmm. and that's exploring the extremes of your physiology and learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So with a sauna, you know, a sauna is not very comfortable. You know, you're there and you're hot and, and you're sweating, but you can actually – and actually when you're in that really uncomfortable – you know, when it gets so hot just before you have to get out, all you can do is breathe. You're just there surviving. And it's one of the few times when your mitochondria, your mind, and your breath are all on the same page. You know, right. you and And – the same thing can happen in an ice bath, so at the other end of the extreme, so going to the extremes of temperature, so where you know where in an ice bath you're just surviving, and that um, ability to choose to be uncomfortable, you know to, cho- to choose to go into a sauna or to choose to have a cold shower and go in an ice bath is already a a, a mental hurdle. But then when you're in that situation, you have to you have to take control over your breath, and your breath is directly feeding the mitochondria. So it's this connection between the body, the brain, and the breath, um, which is also the aim of yoga, you know, going to the extreme of stretch. Mm. And when you're at the extreme of stretch, you just have to then just focus and breathe. So again, your body, brain, and, 
and breath are all on the same page. So doing that through hot and cold, doing it through posture, doing it through breathing exercises where you can go through the extreme of alkaline to the extreme of acid or the extreme of hypoxia to hyperoxia and exploring our body's response to these extremes in our physiology, but doing it within our comfort zone. So you're, you're in control of it all the time. I mean, you can step out of the sauna or the ice bath or start breathing with it or, or you know, stop over-breathing any time you want. So you're in control of the situation, yet you're exploring your comfort zone. Mm. And, and do I, you think that, that – yeah. yeah, I was going to say something really interesting. You just made me think of it with that example is we went to Disneyland as a family recently and, uh, you know, my son is gorgeous but tend to, has tended up until now to be quite um, an apprehensive child and always, you know, mitigating risk. Should I do – no, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't look very safe. And then he discovered roller coasters and we went on and none of us realised how much we were going to have – uh, the time of our lives on these roller coasters, but we really, really did. And it was such a joy to see him in a very safe, controlled, you know, Dis- a company like Disneyland tests everything to the ninth degree. Yep. It's an extremely safe place to, to go on those sorts of rides. And, um, and to see him feel completely safe because we were there, feel completely safe because he knew we were attached to a track and, mm-hmm. it, and it was all good, and to just go with and be and, and to just uh, – he, he has become much braver as a result. And um, and I wonder whether that's sort of for the same reasons. Obviously, it's not putting our, our body directly through, um, or maybe it is. You know, taking adrenaline to the to the well, edge. That's, well, that's it. And you, you're going from the extreme of um, fight and flight mm. to then the extreme of relaxation. Yeah. So exploring those extremes, I think, is um, it's. There's a lot of research to be done. I'm working with Wim Hof and the Wim oh, Hof method. Oh, how fantastic. So uh, we've yeah. just actually released a survey, um, which is live now, whmsurvey.org, so people can tell us about their experiences. In fact, there's a sauna survey. Joy is doing research at the moment. So saunasurvey.org, people can go there and tell us about their sauna experiences. Um, so we're actively researching this from the community. So we'd love to hear from your listeners about their sauna experiences and or if they do the Wim Hof method about that. To, to really understand the, the range of experiences that are out there, the health benefits and even the adverse effects that can happen, whether it's saunering or ice bathing. Yeah, I'd love to have Wim on the show, actually. I've, I'm fascinated by his work. That's so exciting that you guys are working together and I'll definitely share that survey to, to help you guys figure out what people are doing out there. Yeah. And then hopefully we'll be able to come back and report back the results to your audience. I love it. Yes, please. Well, thank you so much once again, um, Mark. You are a wealth of information, so generous to share that with us. I know today was heavy, but as we've said a couple of times in the show, with the heaviness comes the fire in the belly to actually make the changes for a better future for not only our health but the planet as well. Uh, a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for your time. And it sounds like we've already got a new show in the pipeline. So I'll be speaking to you soon. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that writes a review or leaves a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you listen to the show. We appreciate it so 
much. It's the best way you can say thank you because it helps us stay visible and it helps people who haven't listened to the show before but who might come across it in a search think, hmm, I might give that a go. So I appreciate that and I'm wishing you the best week. Until next week, you can catch us on lowtoxlife.com and if you want to check out those show notes, remember to put forward slash podcast and it'll take you straight there. Otherwise, I'll also see you on Instagram. I'm always posting there. It's a little bit more uh, personal and a look at sort of how I eat and what I do and my dad's pictures of blossoms and whatever else is going on. And that's at Low Tox Life. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. Bye.